It's car con carne. Let's eat in the car. It's car con carne. Okay, and we are live. It is Carcone Carne. I'm James Van Ossel, and the show tonight is sponsored by our friends at Siren Records in McHenry. Now, Record Store Day, a scant two-plus weeks from right now, I will be there. I'll be broadcasting, such as it is, as a podcaster. I'll be podcasting uh, right when doors open on Record Store Day at Siren Records at 8 o'clock in the morning. Really, if you have to wake up early on a Saturday morning, Record Store Day is the day to do it. Siren Records McHenry is where I'll be. And I go there a lot. It's not just a record store day thing. A quick, not even a programming note, but just a quick note before we get into tonight's show. Uh, Earlier this week, I launched a new Kickstarter. It's been a decade since I went on Kickstarter, did the crowdfunding thing. It's something that I've been working on, thinking about for a while, and I'm super excited about. Along the lines of vinyl, I am kickstarting a new project called Phonation, a Chicago podcast compilation. The thing is, podcasting it's digital you can download podcasts you can listen to them anywhere this podcast compilation will be on vinyl the highly sexy ultra desirable vinyl format for podcasts i know what you're thinking that's nuts that's part of the appeal 10 chicago podcasts not including this one this podcast will not be part of it i wanted this to be open to 10 podcasts you may not have heard Phonation is currently crowdfunding on Kickstarter. The links on my Kickstarter, on my Kickstarter, on my Instagram, uh, Facebook, Twitter, etc. I'd love you to contribute. In fact, if you are watching or listening on Thursday night before midnight, mere hours remain for the special first 48 hours reward. If you pledge within the first 48 hours, you can get a copy of Phonation at a much lower price, hand delivered. If you're in in the city or suburban Chicago area, I will bring it to your door. Uh, that is something you can get right now up until midnight. Otherwise, you can still get the record, but it, it doesn't come with me, so to speak. So please help out. I, I really want to make this a reality. I think it's good for the Chicago community, the Chicago podcasting community, final enthusiasts, just in general. I like putting new ideas out there. So thank you for your consideration. And if you can't afford it, let's face it, it's been a shit show of a year. If you can't afford it, uh, if you could at least share and talk about it, that'd be amazing. So my guest tonight comes to us from the West Coast. He is Alex Botkin of Lava Sox Records, uh, who is no stranger to putting out records. Uh, and we'll, we'll get to that. And I think to start the conversation, Alex, we should explain for those who don't know, although it's inconceivable, for those who don't know, what is Gilman Street? Gilman Street is a Bay Area uh, DIY all ages collective venue. Uh, we're a nonprofit. We aim to make shows as open and inclusive to everyone that wants to attend and play as possible. Uh, It's known to many people as where Green Day, Rancid, Primus, AFI, many other bands came to be. And uh, it's kind of, I guess, the West Coast CBGBs in a way. And it's very much sort of as historic as it is still relevant in punk rock. And it's my kind of, well pre-pandemic home away from home and it's a cool place i don't know i see it it is so much time there so it is legendary i mean for people in chicago the idea of walking into that place 25 years ago and seeing a a lookout era green day or seeing afi in the beginning i mean that's like fantasy stuff for us but that's Mm -hmm. this is this was like ground zero for so much of that 
what is your relationship? Because my understanding of Gilman Street in the present day is that it's this kind of almost loose DIY cooperative where it's not managed so much as it's just kind of run. Yeah, we have uh, our financial director and a head of operations who kind of force oversee all the main general stuff. But it's basically run by the people that are there all the time and just do what needs to be done. I'm on the fundraising board. I've collected the garbage and put out zines. (laughs) I've done worked the door, done everything that there is to do, basically. And that's kind of what everyone who's there does is you fill in the gaps where they're needed and just get involved how you want to be involved and to what degree you can be involved. But yeah, it's totally run by the board and whoever wants to be at the meetings can be at them and total free for all in some ways. Well, and it's all about community. I mean, exactly. if there's one, one word that to me has always been emblematic of punk rock, it's community. It's yeah. that we're, we're all in this together for ill or well. And that's, this is a perfect way to express that. Yeah. And I Gilman's think Gilman's Street. always tried to keep that in mind, especially there's been a lot of moments where the finances of being an all ages venue versus being a venue that has a bar haven't been as good and being a venue that promotes uh, safer space environments against uh, homophobia, transphobia and bigotry and just hatefulness and violence and kind of keeping all that out definitely makes it harder at times, but it keeps it all the more worth it to have that community and keep the sense of community between the members. And it's like a big family of people that are involved there. And even if you're not volunteering there anymore, you still have that special connection to it where it's not like some job you left. It's like just part of you in a way. There's something about the all ages punk thing. I mean, venues in Chicago have come and gone over the past 30 years, but the one venue you keep hearing about is Fireside Bowl, which existed Mm -hmm. as a DIY all ages punk thing forever that's the one that's where the passion is that's where people found their passion found their interests discovered who they were as music fans and in that community very similar vibe fireside for me is one of the venues that like had i been able to be around and seeing shows in the 90s and that kind of stuff because i have a bunch of the vml live stuff where that was all recorded at fireside and it's kind of yeah it's one of those venues that gilman sort of harkens back to something that's really vanishing quickly and mm-hmm. stuff like fireside and things like that that don't exist anymore i think gilman's almost one of the last of its kind and hopefully after all this stuff will start popping up again but it's nice that we've managed to stay around as long i think we're at 34 years now at this point which as any anyone in the service industry the entertainment industry will tell you that's no small feat yeah so let's talk about the, the benefits that are being done, the, the ways you're raising money, starting with The Thing That Ate Floyd. Yeah. This is a compilation that came out late 80s? Yeah, I think 88, I think around then. And so it's been completely reissued. Yeah. So we, uh, I've, I've been kind of an East Bay punk historian, archivist, obsessive for <laughs> last four or five years. I... I guess in case people don't know or can't get it from looking at me, I was born in 1997. And so everything that happened at Gilman with Lookout and Green Day and when they was really synonymous with each other, I wouldn't have even been alive for. And so this is my way of kind of vicariously living 
through that sort of scene by getting involved in my own way. And Floyd, to me, goes hand in hand with that community sense that we were talking about with Gilman. Mm -hmm. Of It's such a perfect picture of the community of East Bay Punk in the late 80s, early 90s with Lookout and just the wide variety of, God, 32 bands that is on that compilation. <laughs> and And just like the amount of kind of weirdness and band names and locales from Sacramento and Bay Area and Fresno and different areas of of kind of the greater extended Northern California scene and just all of them coming around this one sort of scene. And so with the pandemic closing our doors for the time being, it seemed like the perfect thing to reissue, not only to help raise money, but also to kind of help bring awareness back and be like, look, we're still here. We're still doing something really cool. Mm -hmm. And for people my age and younger now that are getting involved, I mean, we have volunteers that were coming that were, you know, 15, 14, 16, that are just discovering punk rock and just discovering DIY, might not even know this kind of music and these early bands that weren't Green Day existed at all. And it's really important to me to not only help raise money, but to preserve the history and yeah. as anti kind of like archivist vinyl. Uh, it might be like putting it all on digital services, especially like Bandcamp, is really vital to preserving it. Totally agree. Totally agree. Yeah, and so that was a big part of it too. Of just it, none. It wasn't available on digital stuff, and I thought this needs to be brought back into the public eye and be saved forever. Now, I, I'm so glad you're doing it, and clearly you're a music fan. I, I think one of the best parts, and I think you just said it without saying it, one of the best parts of being a music fan is when you discover something you didn't know existed from years ago, and then you get to go back and hear all that stuff for the first time. It's like, this has been sitting here all along and I wasn't aware of it. This is amazing. I, it's That's such an exciting thing to be able to do that. Exactly. And that, like, my epiphany moment was, I think, 2016, 2017, hearing this stuff for the first time and reading Larry Livermore's books about Lookout and discovering all this and if someone else can have that moment that I had of just that discovery of like, wow, these are, this happened and this, this whole scene and maybe inspire people to want to play music or get into that genre. Or just for me, that compilation was so much about like, it's okay to be really weird and wacky in music. And these bands are like, just don't have any care about like making it really pop savvy and hooks and really marketable it's just whatever and i think that's something that might not get as much press as the really popular marketable stuff of course so it's cool to give people that chance to have that moment that i had of discovery of like wow Maybe you'll find your new favorite band. Mm. And, and what a scene it was. I mean, here's a compilation that has Operation Ivy yeah, buried at the end of the album. Um, you know, if this were released in the present day and the track listing were decided now, that'd be, you know, track one, two, three, or four. Uh, exactly. Neurosis is on it, mm -hmm. which I, I guess in my head, I didn't realize they'd been around as long as that. But yeah, this is a very early song from them. Yeah, and they, they started back, I think... 86 or 87 as sort of like a hardcore punk trio and this is kind of the tail end of that era before they got into sort of the really they took a different turn yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. definitely. and they're awesome too uh yeah. no use for a name is i mean there are there are familiar punk rock brand names yeah. on this compilation it's just amazing and 
you put this out 33 songs oh my god uh 33 songs and the proceeds go straight to gilman on this yeah so all the proceeds are going to gilman and it's been doing really well and it it um you know it's the vinyl i think might almost be sold out there's still some but like digital will be there forever and always go to gilman as long as gilman's happening and beyond that so you're what 24 25 i'm 24 right now yeah okay but you're a record collector you're a record distributor i mean tell me about your relationship with vinyl because clearly it swung back around but you know there was a time alex where people didn't give a shit about vinyl I and now <laughs> i think i came into it right not right as the, it was starting to happen but i remember being into vinyl right as record store day started to happen and kind of getting into vinyl probably middle school uh like a lot of people my parents uh were into um sort of earlier punk dead kennedys ramones and i would dig through their record collection when i was pretty young probably five or six started to look at it and always loved the art and there was just something fascinating about it and then as we started to go to like amoeba records and a lot of these big record stores that are in the bay area it kind of became just a fascination with again discovery like you were talking about and my favorite thing has always been like dollar seven inch bins i love i'll go into those and buy like 57 inches out of them and just sort through them i used to have college radio shows that were entirely mm. dedicated to doing that sort of thing just playing bargain bin seven inches that hopefully you know people would be discovering for the first time and i think vinyl is certainly you know i mean now it's at a huge resurgence i work at a record store i like you were saying i'm getting up god at 6 a.m to get ready for record store day or something like that and it it kind of became such a a big thing and definitely the record label came out of that love of kind of collecting yeah. lava socks and, yeah which I, I think I buried the lead. Lava Sox Records should okay. should have put that up, should have put that up front. Uh, seven inches. I I completely get what you're saying. I appreciate that, and I I love the fact that someone like you is out there curating music. Uh, seven inches make me crazy. <laughs> I, I think they're the most frustrating thing in the world. I and I you, will say, yeah, as a collector, I love them, and to like find bargain and stuff. But as a record label, I do not put them out except for like a couple bands that have really been adamant about doing them. But yeah, I, the format for producing and putting out music, the LP is so much better. I would fully so agree. much better. So much better. Yeah. Right, let's talk about the other compilation and sure. outcome the lawsuit. So you, you said you were born in 97, two years before that rancid put out what was, I, I think their, their master stroke, their, oh, their definitely. finest, their finest moment and outcome the wolves. I mean, I vividly remember, I, I mean, Junkie Man was a radio single, which mm -hmm. seems unfathomable in the present day. Jim Carroll doing spoken word, a song about a junkie. I mean, that was that was a radio song yeah. back in the day. What, what a record. And the songs that weren't singles on that album, Disorder and Disarray. I mean, these are big, hooky, sing-along, fist-pumping songs. Yeah. What, what a record to do a tribute to. I know. It, it was truly like a labor of love. I've loved that album so long. And a huge part was like I play bass and like Matt Freeman's bass lines on Journey to the End of the East Bay and Maximal Murder and oh, everything is like just this awakening of like, whoa, you can do that. And like still like in a punk band, you can have that level of like bass mastery. And uh, 
back in 2019, I put out this cover comp for uh, Green Day's Dookie, and that was a really fun project. Uh, kind of came from the love of these like lookout comps like Floyd and stuff like that, of bringing together a bunch of different bands, and it was such a perfect thing of bring a bunch of bands that might not necessarily be on one thing together, typically due to genre differences, yes. and then get them all over one thing because of the love of Green Day. And then the next obvious choice was Outcome the Wolves, because for me it was, yeah, one of the most seminal East Bay punk albums and just punk albums in general. And like having 19 songs on it meant that you could get so many bands sure. to each have their own take and opportunity on it. And it was going to come out in 2019. It got delayed and then the pandemic delayed it. So it's like the 25th anniversary on punk time sort of aspect. <laughs> right. So right. it's kind of, yeah, I guess like the 26 and a half anniversary sort of tribute. But yeah, it is a deep album. Yeah, there's so much there. Wildly influential. It still stand. It still sounds cur current and modern to present day listening it, mm -hmm. uh, tell me who's on the, the comp i know you've got public safety adult school yeah so got a bunch of local bands a lot of the people that i played with before uh the big ones for me are link 80 which is a asian man record ska band from the 90s and, and they do they do that. junkie man yeah they do junkie man and they do such a great version of it and link 80 apart from a Asian man 20th anniversary reunion show in 2016 have not really been a band since I think 2000. And so Adam from Omnigon, who's also on it and does lockstep and gone, uh, just suggested the idea of having link 80 do it. And it was like, Oh, okay. I mean, I guess if you can try to get that to happen, sure. And then it, it came together and it's awesome. So we have a bunch of others, uh, get married's a favorite of mine. They're kind of, doo-wop elvis presley meets punk rock sort of vibe so and yeah and they did one of the best things on the comp i'm trying to be unbiased but like it's great warriors from uh new jersey now i guess they're in la but they do old friend uh god who else is so who does time bomb? My, time bomb is by let me check i think um oh god Flying Raccoon Suit does Time Bomb, and they um, are a ska band from the Midwest, and part of what was great is it made me actually meet a bunch of new bands that I kind of knew vicariously. Uh, I play in the band Sarcasm, which mm -hmm. is the band that did Journey to the End of the East Bay, and we have toured through the Midwest a few times and like met a couple people from Flying Raccoon Suit, and... I had seen pictures of them posting with our album and I had never really interacted with them before. And it was the first chance for me to actually get to meet them when this comp started to come together. And they did a great cover, uh, very kind of sky influence, just going full bore kind of more towards that op Ivy sort of sound. And then well, the foundation was definitely there. I mean, on yeah, that song. Exactly. Yeah. See, I and was wondering then, if, if the bands you recruited for this would fight it out, fight it out over Time Bomb, because that was the that was the hit. This is actually something that perplexes me. Is it's always like the last two picked were Ruby Soho and Time Bomb. I would I would have expected the opposite. Obviously, I, I would have expected the opposite. It was like Absolutely. the first one 
I think the very first one claimed was Lockstep and Gone. And it's like, I think there's this element of the covers are so daunting in a way because they're like, you know, you have this band. And then when you take something like Rancid's songs that were like big hits and big fan favorites like Ruby Soho and Time Bomb, there's this bigger expectation that bands feel like they might have to live up to. And even though I really encourage them like, take it, make it your own as much as you can, right. you know, tear it apart and just wreck the song and do what that's the secret want. to a good cover is exactly. making it your own. Yeah. Like, I don't want you to reproduce 1995 rancid. I want you to be, you know, the band you are doing right. rancid like you. And so time bomb and Ruby Soho, I think carry a certain weight to them of, well, I've heard it so much. How can I really, do it in a way that honors it while still making it my own. And then songs like, I guess, like The Way I Feel or Avenues and Alleyways and the kind of more deep cuts on the album don't have that sort of like grandiose, almost like a self, like an ego to the song almost. Like there's this... You can fly under the radar a little bit more. Exactly. And you can you can treat it like maybe not everyone would go into this having expectations of how this sure. song should sound. And I think that's because, kind of yeah, the, the, those songs in particular, Ruby Soho and Time Bomb, those were the songs that brought people to this album in the first place. So, I mean, exactly. There, there's that sense of nostalgia and that moment in time. So I get it. There's a little bit of pressure, a little bit of artistic pressure yeah. attached to the, the way you say it makes perfect sense to me. So yeah. it's on punk rock time. It's not not the 25th anniversary by strict calendar standards. Calendars are for assholes anyway. So w w what's the release date for this? So this is coming out uh, June 4th. I believe the vinyl is shipping in July. Uh, the pandemic, everyone has taken the time to all the major labels are repressing everything because shows aren't happening. They're taking up all the pressing plants. So it's a little delayed. It's I guess, yeah. even further punk time. But June 4th digitally is full released on all streaming, Bandcamp, everything like that. Awesome. I, 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 I use this word a lot, Alex, the word curation. I, I think the world, the music world needs more curators, people who give a shit, who are passionate about music and who want people to hear cool shit. Yeah, I, I, I'm i very glad you say that, because like to me, I like the archivist in me is part of what people I think are a little weird about of I like I try to preserve and keep stuff like especially it comes back to even like show flyers or mm -hmm. uh, I try to record bands that play Gilman now like if they're cool with it we try to record live board recordings as much as we can and I get it. try to make it so it's like you don't want in 25 years someone to be like oh, I wish I had done that or like wish that had been kept and I, I think I love the music but yeah there's a huge element of kind of that archivist curation and it's I've, <laughs> you're the first person that's said that and it's really it makes me very happy to have that term attributed because it is exactly the goal that i try to push for with these well I, and it, it's something that i'm very aware of we live in this time where we have access to everything every yeah every, everything's out there everything's available but most people don't know how to get to stuff they're interested in and we, and, do, we yeah. need more curators people and who can shine the beacon and say come yeah. come with me it's exactly what you were talking about with the uh, podcast record that you're doing and trying to like expose people to things that they might not have the opportunity to listen to otherwise and just bring it all together on one format that or platform or whatever that just 
gets it to as many people as you possibly can and preserves it for them. Yeah, well, with the podcast thing, I, I know as ubiquitous as podcasts are, I realize they're still not at that tipping point. There, there's still a vast segment of people in the universe who don't listen to podcasts, or at least don't listen more than once a week, once every two weeks. I figured yeah. this would be kind of a fun, quirky, quixotic way to to bring podcasting to people who may not be dialed into that stuff. I agree. I think it's I I love podcasts. It's like my main thing to listen to every day. And awesome. I think that's such a, a unique thing of like they're so heavily associated with digital media. And that's such a cool concept to like create physical media out of this so typical streaming sort of thing and kind of make that physical artifact for people. Because let's face it, I mean, as a as a record producer and, and music maker yourself, I mean, there's nothing like having something to archive on your shelf to yeah. look at. I mean, the acquisition is part of the fun. Exactly. And I think that's shied away from from some people who who try to be against like and I get like overcharging people and that kind of stuff. But yeah, there is there's such a, a joy that I mean, when I held my band's first thing that we put out on vinyl, it was the coolest thing. And it's not even the <laughs> You know, it's not even the music on it at some level. It's the physical manifestation of it and the work that goes into it. I mean, you know, for people who don't put out records, these records take like five to six months to make happen and to finally get it and just like I I just look at it and just stare at it and it's not even playing it. It's like, wow, it's that thing that I can look at and yeah, just kind of preserve and like and then they sit in my garage next to me for three years <laughs> well let's talk about archival formats uh, you're no stranger to the cassette oh yeah i, I that to me is like one rung below seven inches those drive me absolutely insane i i don't understand i i hope no one that i pays that pays me to make cassettes for them hears this but i don't get it fully i i understand the aspect and this is what i tell bands when i try to like talk to them about doing a cassette through lava socks or something like that um having the physical manifestation of your music is really cool it gives you some sort of uh reward and makes you feel like you've really accomplished something because it's cool to have the streaming numbers and it's cool to see digital stuff but having the physical thing to hold it's gives you a sense of accomplishment plus I try to say like you can sell this at shows. Exactly. People like buying things and no one buys CDs anymore. Right. Cassettes sell way better than CDs. And for me, I make a little, you know, I make a little bit off every tape I do, but that's not really the important thing. Like if I make back what I put into it, that's all that matters to me. And then getting the band to have something, but yeah, I don't, the resurgence of cassette as a cool format, I don't think is one that interesting. Two, I don't think will last in the way that vinyl has lasted. Certainly not. Yeah. And most people that like buy this don't have a cassette deck. And that's the biggest thing is like, I just no bought my deck. first cassette deck. It's a used cassette deck. I bought my first one in like 15 years just so yeah. I could start playing tapes again. But you brought, you brought up something that I, I didn't even put together. From a touring perspective, to have those at the merch table 
is important because some people they'll hit the merch table before a show starts. They don't want to carry around a t-shirt for the entire show. They don't, it's easy to slide a cassette in your pocket. Yeah. As you're, as you're at a concert. It's, it's like at this point, you know, with shirts, people might not know where to get them and then they end up being expensive in some regards, but yeah, tapes mm. are, you know, five bucks pretty much across the board is what I try to have people charge for them is what I charge for them. And super reasonable. I yeah. have certainly seen double the price. At shows. Oh yeah, at, at and at record at like the record store I work at, I'll price cassettes consistently that come in from bigger labels for thirteen, fourteen dollars, and yeah, to me it's like it's a five buck thing that like at five bucks most people can justify and think I would probably pay that digitally. So that, that's a beer. Yeah, exactly. And in like in some places in the like the bar that's next door to Gilman, that's not even a, that's not even a beer. Like. So it's yeah, you're not sacrificing much to help support a band. And I think that's why more people buy it in the that's local it. sort of scene is you're supporting the band. You're not necessarily buying it to have and listen to the cassette. Yeah, I yeah. completely agree with that. All right. So Lava Sox Records, the thing that ate Floyd, the reissue, the rancid tribute comp and outcome, the lawsuits, which, by the way, great title. I didn't acknowledge that from the get go uh, for people who want to hear that stuff. Uh, you mentioned the rancid comp comes out a week from tomorrow. Um, the thing that ate Floyd is out. Should they go? Is there a Lava Sox band camp they should go yeah, to? Lava Sox Records, uh, just at Bandcamp. If you search it, it'll come out. And uh, Floyd is also on Apple Music, Spotify every possible thing, YouTube, Pandora, all that sort of stuff. Uh, but Bandcamp's great. Bandcamp gets the most money to go to Gilman as possible. It's just 10 bucks for 30, 33 songs, which pretty good deal. And if you want to get the vinyl, I think it's Lava Socks at uh, Big Cartel is the web store. And the Rancid comp is on my co-releaser, Sell the Heart Records Bandcamp. Love it. All right, Alex. Oh, and people should listen to sarcasm when they're done with all oh, that. Thank you. Uh, thank you for doing this. I'm going to have you hang on, hang on the the stream here for a second as I sure. wrap up the, the live feed. Thank you everybody for watching. Thank you for listening. That's Alex Bodkin. Go listen to his comps because they're fucking awesome. Thank you.